the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today's episode, we have a patron-requested episode. That's right, another patron-requested episode. We love our patrons. This patron is Jeremy Andrews, and the episode that he has requested us to do is to break down the 1993 Batman animated film Mask of the Phantasm, and then review the TV show Scrubs, and then do a casting, a live-action casting of Mask of the Phantasm, as if they were going to make a standalone Batman movie for that today. I was, uh, I'm actually pretty looking forward to this one. Me too. I mean, we both were fans of Batman the Animated Series, and anybody can go and listen to that episode that we did with the Dynamic Duel Brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's a fantastic episode. It's actually our most listened to episode, uh, and it's a, it's a damn good one. It's a long one, because we talk about that and X-Men, and then we do multiple castings. It's a lot of fun, and, and the Dynamic Duel guys have a lot of insight into stuff, too, which is great. But then I was really excited for Jeremy to say that he wanted to talk about Scrubs, because I know that Scrubs is a show that both of us, you and me, fuck love. Yes. And not one that we probably would have normally covered on here since we were both older when we came to Scrubs, but having a patron request it was kind of a nice sort of backdoor into being yeah. able to review a TV show that we really do enjoy. Yeah, that show started in 2001, so it's like it's right just past that cusp, you know, it didn't end till 2010. So it's like a little bit past like the nostalgia, you know, like mm-hmm. I loved that in college and after college, it was still going on. And so it's just like, all right, that's maybe eventually it could have come to it if we're doing this podcast for like 10 years or something. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we've got a whole bunch of other more like, you know, generic nostalgia stuff. So I'm really glad to hear, uh, you know, Jeremy is a little bit younger than us. And so Scrubs is in his wheelhouse of nostalgia. And so that's fantastic because, yeah. Uh, I'm excited to talk about that one. But I'm also excited to talk about Mask of the Phantasm. It's a great Batman tie-in to the Batman animated series, which, you know, is just so awesome. Uh, And that one came out in 1993. John, I know there's some other stuff that happened in 1993. Yeah, so Mask of the Phantasm actually came out on Christmas Day in 1993. The Billboard Top 100 single of that week was Hero by Mariah Carey. And then a hero comes along That's a good song. I like, yeah, that's an awesome song. She uh, she kind of owned the early 90s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was huge. Another just sort of kind of interesting facts. Apparently, a company called Space Advertising Incorporated attempted to launch a giant billboard into low Earth orbit. And from Earth, it was going to be about the same size as the moon. <laughs> and after... After the project was canceled, a bill was introduced to Congress that banned any further space advertising. <laughs> that's that's a good thing the government did right there. They they've done a couple good things in their days. Yeah. So I don't. I would not want a sky just chock full of fucking advertising. <laughs> exactly. Being from the South, Adam and I are, are probably if you 
pushed us to give an answer. I'm guessing we're both Coke people, Coca-Cola people. Oh, damn straight. Now, I don't drink soda anymore, but I'm still sort of, I feel like I'm honor bound to <laughs> prefer Coke. Even when, uh, even when I don't drink soda anymore. So Pepsi, we're talking about Pepsi for a second. Which technically is still Southern. I think Pepsi started in North Carolina. Yeah, but we're, okay, so but we're it, from Georgia. And yeah, there you go. Atlanta, so. <laughs> yeah, we, we yeah. went to the world of Coke when we were kids. And yeah, I mean, being in Atlanta, you have to be a Coke person. That's right. It's not referred to as soda or pop or soda pop yeah. in, in Georgia. It's Coke. Everything is Coke. Exactly. You order a Coke, they say, all right, what kind will you have? You know, oh, I'll have a Sprite. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's <laughs> what do you do? Exactly. So anyway, talking about the uh, the opposition, as it were, uh, Pepsi ran a contest in the Philippines that year that promised about $40,000 to a person who found the number 349 inside of one of the bottle caps. And then Pepsi went on to accidentally print 800,000 winning bottle caps, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, led to uh, an amount of outrage and death threats to the executives yeah they fucked that one up i I don't imagine that they paid anybody out i can't imagine yeah just sort of a a whoops and uh last thing about 1993 sort of on a down note but uh 93 saw the uh death of two uh kind of notable actors they've become i think they've become more notable and notorious after their death but uh we lost uh brandon lee that year Mm. and we also lost river phoenix yeah i mean both uh they they became even bigger i think just because of the potential that we we all saw in them and then with what they were doing and they were kind of like you know they were on the rise when they mm-hmm. when they died so it's uh yeah i mean yeah, def- definitely tragic losses did you ever see the crow i don't know if i have honestly I, if i did i don't remember it i don't think i have either so it's not one that i am nostalgic for at all yeah so i don't really know much about for brandon lee i'm a little bit more impacted by river phoenix because he was in so many things i loved as a kid yes uh, we are we talked about the explorers a, a year or two ago Mm-hmm. It feels like it wasn't that long ago, but I think it was like two years ago almost. Yeah, well, we've recently passed our two-year mark, so yeah, and right. Explorers was one of the earlier ones, so it's, it probably was close to two years. But he was also in Stand By Me, which we'll probably get to eventually. Um, he had a short part in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which mm-hmm. uh, might be a little bit controversial to say, but that's my favorite of the three. It's the most fun. I, yeah. I think it's safe to say. It's like, okay, I, I always equate, because people do the same kind of discussion with me, and I'm like, alright, Last Crusade is the most fun Indiana Jones movie. Raiders is probably the best film. Okay. And it's the exact same way for me with Rock with the Rocky films, well, I'll be like, hey, Rocky Four is the most fun movie. If I want to pop in a Rocky movie just to watch Rocky, it's going to be Rocky Four. But when it comes to filmmaking, Rocky One is probably the best film of the entire series. Well, that's fair. So. That's my that's my two cents. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that was 1993. All right. Uh, sounds like a damn good year. Uh, besides the deaths that John brought us, uh, told us all about. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> but uh, all right. Uh, we are going to phase our way, ghost smoke our way, whatever the hell you want to call it, into Batman's Mask of the Phantasm and hope that Jeremy Andrews likes what he paid for. <laughs> Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, mentioned it came out in 1993. It is a cinematic continuation of Batman the Animated Series, as well as the first original theatrical film produced by Warner Brothers Animation. Uh, it was directed by Eric Radomski and Bruce Tim. Both of them worked on the animated series as well. Uh, Bruce Tim, specifically, his animation and his character design really led the way for 
an amazing group of DC animated universe, which included shows like the Superman show for also from the 90s, the Justice League show and Justice League United, as well as Batman Beyond. All of that was based off of the looks that he set for Batman the Animated Series. So he's very impressed because all of those shows, if you haven't seen them, John, every single one of those shows I just mentioned were awesome. The I mean, the only one I watched as a kid was Batman the Animated Series because the others were a little bit past my time. But I've heard nothing but good things. They were. I think I think the Superman got started in like 96, which, yeah, you were 15 or 16 at that time. So you probably wouldn't have cared as much for those animated shows but like the justice league show actually might be well it's not better than batman the animated series but it is a fantastic show and actually all of them are fantastic um but bruce tim besides that you know he's a great animator uh he worked on other shows that we all know and some we've already talked about uh, he-man she-ra gi joe uh he also worked on mighty mouse the real ghostbusters and tiny tunes oh. uh, doing like character design and animation for those shows so Music in this movie was done by Shirley Walker, who she also did music for the animated series, as well as the Superman show and Batman Beyond. And then also for a show that maybe we can talk Corey and Zach into doing on the uh, Podcasting After Dark podcast, which is the movie Ghoulies. Do you remember that one? I remember the name. I don't remember the movie. Okay. It was a cult shitty horror movie. <laughs> uh, it, was, it wasn't good. It wasn't a good movie. Okay. One more thing about the music in this film. I was just kind of like, during the credits at the end, I was just kind of writing up my wrap-up my wrap notes, and I just happened to look up uh, when the music department was on, and then I mm-hmm. saw that credited for synthesizer for this film was Hans fucking Zimmer. Really? Yeah, he did the synthesizer for the music in in this movie, which I thought was nuts. Like, Hans Zimmer just finds his way into goddamn every amazing thing ever. <laughs> uh, I just love it. I love seeing him. And I see, I just, I need to just go through his entire credits and just be like, man, this guy is, he ends up doing a lot more than I realize. <laughs> this film stars Kevin Conroy as Batman talked about him extensively anytime i bring up batman i fit i swear like the next words out of my out of my uh, mouth are kevin conroy is my batman <laughs> and mark <laughs> hamill is my joker uh, right. mark hamill also reprises his role as joker here dana delaney is the voice of andrea beaumont who you might know her from the show desperate housewives or you might recognize the voice because she was lois lane in the animated series this is what got her that job oh that totally makes sense though i mean she was she was good she was good, and I, I liked her a lot as a Lois Lane. She sounded like a Lois Lane. They were very impressed with her, so they offered her the, nice. the Lois Lane one. Cool. Uh, Hart Bachner played uh, Arthur Reeves, who's kind of like a skeezy lawyerish type. Um, we've actually talked about him before. He is yes, we have. Ethan in uh, Supergirl, kind of like the hunky guy. Uh, and also he is Ellis, most famously for me, Ellis in Die Hard. Right. <laughs> the, coked, the coked up guy. <laughs> Uh, Stacy Keach plays the voice of the Phantasm and uh, the dad, Carl Beaumont. Stacy Keach has been in uh, just tons of things. Yeah. Like, honestly, uh, just the man's credits are monstrous. Um, but one thing I wanted to call out, which I I don't know if you ever watched the show, and it was really is a fairly short lived show, maybe only like two three seasons. But he was the dad in the show Titus. Okay, that was a little sitcom that starred Chris Titus. I thought was awesome. Um, if anybody out there also watched that show when they were younger, props to you. Abe Vigoda did the voice of Sal Valestra. Uh, Abe Vigoda is a classic actor. You know, you probably best know him at, from Godfather and Godfather Part 2. Mm-hmm. That's what I do for sure. And then, as I mentioned, Mark Hamill as the Joker. And the plot 
for this film was inspired by Mike W. Barr's uh, Batman Year Two comic book story arc. But instead of the villain that was in that comic book series, which was called who was called the Reaper, uh, they made their own original antagonist who they called the Phantasm. I think they also borrowed a little bit from the Year One comic as well. Which makes sense. I mean, year one was heavily on gangsters and mobster kind of thing. I think a lot of the flashbacks were influenced by the year one one. And the main story, I think, was taken from year two, if I remember correctly. Cool. So we start the film and we get the title sequence. And we get actually a really good looking computer generated Gotham that we're just kind of like moving through. We're kind of like almost like doing like a drone fly through in that Bruce Tim art style, very art deco kind of thing. You know, we've talked about it before. Yeah. Uh, And we get some very intense orchestral music and singing going on during this opening credits. But I like that look. I mean, I'm a big fan of the animation style uh, and it just kind of getting back into it does make me very happy. I think that was originally going to be for the animated series and then they didn't end up using it. Mm. I mean, it's big and long. Like it, It is a little... It's maybe a little too grand for the mm-hmm. animated series. It's just not, not not necessary for it, but it works well here. Yeah. Uh, we meet some mobsters, and they're doing some kind of deal or something, and Batman busts in, but this one mobster named Chucky escapes to the car park, and uh, we get this villain popping up pretty quickly uh, who has just, you know, a cool look to him. I like the look of the Phantasm. He's got, you know, not quite a skull mask, but kind of mm-hmm. like that, very hooded, shrouded, I mean, and a kind of like a almost like a sickle on their hand, but it's like, right. t- it's like almost like a hook, like Captain Hook, but it's like turned into a little sickle. Uh, they probably must have stolen a good bit from whoever that Reaper character is because this one has a very similar kind of mentality about them. Mm-hmm. And so that person, the Phantasm's there to kill Chucky. And, you know, in the fight, the mobster ends up crashing their car, you know, into another building, yeah. basically. Uh, the guy who voiced Chucky was a guy named Dick Miller. What do you want? And we've actually talked about Dick Miller before uh, on our Explorers episode. He was the helicopter pilot. Yeah, we actually we actually talked about him in a couple different things because um, Joe Dante uses him in a, multiple different ch- movies. Oh yeah, he's also in Gremlins, and uh, there was another Joe Dante that I can't remember off the top of my head, but he was in that movie as well. Right. Batman is spotted like at the scene. Uh, after the car crash, and so the media and everybody thinks that Batman is the one that killed Chucky Soul, and it's like, oh my god, Batman, the guy who doesn't kill people, they think he's gone bad, John. We very briefly meet this mysterious woman who's flying into town, and uh, we just kind of, just get a little hint about, okay, somebody, somebody's coming back who hasn't been here in a long time. We cut to a party, and there's some girls, I kind of like this scene, there's some girls are like hitting on Bruce pretty hard. I feel like you don't see the playboy aspect of bruce wayne all that much in mm-hmm. honestly most of the different batman iterations but like here they kind of play up like okay yeah bruce wayne is a bit of a playboy they have these girls hanging off of him they have this other uh lady come up to him and throw a drink in her in his face because i'd watch out for brucey if i were you girls first he wines and dines you makes you think you're the only woman he's ever been interested in and just when you're wondering where to register the china he forgets your phone number. 
I don't think I saw anything like that in the Batman animated series, so it's kind of nice that they had that here. Mm -hmm. At this party, we also meet this guy, Arthur, who is a douchey city councilman right now. You know, he, I think he started off as a lawyer earlier in the flashbacks that we'll see, but mm -hmm. he's this city councilman, corrupt little, kind of douchey little guy. Um, and he brings up this lady, Andrea, uh, who is somebody that Bruce, you know, has some kind of interaction with that you, know, you can tell right away. Bruce is like longingly thinks of her. He just kind of says his her name to himself. <laughs> and he has, to, he has to go off and kind of think about her. You know, he's off kind of in a, in a secluded room. And then we get a little flashback of where he met her in a cemetery while he was visiting his parents' graves. So, you know, of course, you know, you got with Batman, you got to tie things back to his parents. And so you know, him looking at a painting makes him think of the cemetery, you know, and, and thinking of Andrea, all of that ties all that well together. Um, and we continue the flashback for a little bit um, and we kind of get find out just more about their relationship. But what I really do like at this part is we see Bruce early on in his vigilante days mm -hmm. and we get him just putting on like a like a ski mask and like regular stuff and he's going out and fighting so he's not batman yet you know he's a little bit sloppy he's not you know at his perfect batman peak um you know he tries to beat up these guys who are robbing a place and he ends up like jumping on a semi and has to like use some of his crude tools he doesn't have his batarangs and doesn't have his bat stuff yet because he hasn't gotten that inspiration just yet mm -hmm. uh, which we will find out about that later but you know he ends up jumping on this semi and following it and uh and, and in the end of course he ends up getting the bad guy we continue the flashback and we see that bruce is training in jujitsu and uh, andrea's kind of come over to talk to him he realizes that he he beat up these people but he didn't strike fear into them and that's what he thinks will give him the edge he needs uh, as a vigilante to stop everybody so no one has to have any more dead parents like he has so <laughs> Andrea flirts with him pretty good, and we also see that uh, she's got a few moves of her own. You know, she kind of does like a little jujitsu-y kind of throw on Bruce, so that's just kind of fun. Uh, but in general, we just kind of see, you know, that they're flirting together and that they have uh, a love that is starting to, to blossom a little bit. You know, they're, they're working well. We come back to the present time. This mobster called Bronski uh, drops some flowers at Chucky's gravestone he ends up hearing a voice and it's the phantasm again so now this phantasm is going specifically after certain mobsters i do like the voice of the phantasm i mean that was done by stacy keach but i also like the line like whenever the phantasm comes to kill someone he says the line buzz bronski your angel of death awaits and it's pretty creepy. I think it's that's pretty cool. Yeah. The mobster ends up getting chased into an empty grave and is killed by a large headstone falling on them. The guards saw like this shadowy figure uh, and assumed it was Batman. So again, you know, Batman's getting he gets all the blame, man. None of the love. Poor Batman. I don't know. I don't know why the hell he keeps guarding Gotham. They don't, <laughs> they just do not appreciate him like they should. Yeah. We cut to a very old mobster who's reading uh, the paper and he kind of freaks out. He realizes, you know, other two associates of his were killed. Um, we then cut to Arthur Reeves, who wants to go after Batman. Um, you know, as a city councilman, he wants to try and get this freak off the streets. Um, and he they set up like a ruse to try and get the Batman by doing the bat signal but at this time batman is investigating the cemetery killing and he also ends up stopping by his parents grave while he's there and he sees andrea who apparently back in town and talking to her her mother's gravestone which she had before also kind of interesting that andrea notices immediately that she sees batman and batman kind of gets scared and flustered and runs away <laughs> which was kind of funny uh, and she just kind of like realized she, she she becomes suspicious of you know wait why is batman here why was he at that other gravestone so she she's a smart cookie 
You can Mm -hmm. tell. Andrea and Arthur go out to dinner and Batman spies on her and he ends up flashing back to him and Andrea visiting an amusement park. They're out on a date and you get a nice little scene where you can tell, you know, also I really like it's it's they're at like this world fair, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like the world of tomorrow kind of thing. And at one point he sees this car design and he really likes it. And we can tell that he is thinking up designs for the Batmobile that's going to come eventually. And it's just, it's kind of nice. That's one thing I do like about this film is uh, you get a, they set up a lot of like early stuff and some of the, how did Batman come to be? And and I think this, this movie ties in really well with the anime series where you get, you know, not really all of that, but now you're getting some of that backstory, which is pretty damn cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, We meet Andrea's father, Carl, um, as she, you know, we're still in a flashback uh, as she introduces her boy's boyfriend, Bruce, to him. Um, we also end up meeting this guy, Mr. Valestra, who was the old mobster that we saw uh, in the quote unquote present day. And he's doing business with Andrea's father. So Andrea's father is getting, you know, he's caught up in some some deep shit. We can already tell yeah. if he's going to be hanging out with these guys. As Bruce and Andrea leave the building, uh, they see some thugs are like mugging this dude. And so Bruce wants to go over and help them. But, you know, as he's fighting, he ends up like looking over at Andrea and he gets hit hard the guys get away and so now Bruce is like he is all fucking upset that can he have the vigilante life that he wants you know to complete the vow for his parents with a life of love with Andrea and so he has to go through that kind of struggle mm-hmm. and that's really what a lot of this movie is about which is pretty deep for a quote-unquote animated kids movie yeah at Wayne Manor uh, Bruce you know is struggling which way to go um, should he dive further into the vigilante world or the life with Andrea? Um, and he kind of goes over to the cemetery to try and figure out what to do. And we just kind of see that, you know, Andrea comes there and meets him. And, and you know, they, they really have a lot of love, John. So I think Batman's going to hang it up. You think so? That's what's going to happen. Well, of course, we're in a flashback right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's Batman flashing back. Right. Uh, so he, I think something's probably going to happen for him to go back to Batman. You know, if I if that was to take an educated guess. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we cut back to the present time, and we see Arthur Reeves and an older version, you know, of that uh, of that mobster. Then in the Batcave, Batman finds a connection uh, between the two mobsters and this Sal Valestra. And so, you know, he's, you know, of course, he's the world's greatest detective. So he's just trying to make these connections, figure out, you know, why are these certain people dying? Uh, so he goes to Valestra's home. While he's there, he notices a picture of Andrea's father, uh, who he remembers from back in the day at Valestra's place. Then we get a flashback to Bruce proposing to Andrea. I like Batman in love. It's nice, man. Makes mm-hmm. me feel good. You know, he's decided he's going to he's going to change the plan and he's not just going to do his vow. He wants to he wants to have that life. But what's kind of funny is while right after he proposed, all these bats fly up from like a little crack slash cave in the ground and just kind of scare the shit out of him. (laughs) And this, sir, is where he gets the idea of bats being super badass. I never thought this would happen. I I always felt like like I'd thrown you a curveball, like you never knew what to do with me because I wasn't in the plan. You are now. I'm changing the plan. While Bruce takes Andrea back home, she notices that her dad is doing business at home, which is not typical, so something's not right. So Bruce drops her off and leaves. He takes a glance back at this one kind of henchman who's there, which is important, which I picked up on immediately. And I was just like, wait a minute, there's something special to that guy. <laughs> that guy's nose is very unique, too, to me. Did you notice that? Like, did you pick that up on before? Uh, yeah. What we're coming to? A, a little bit. For some reason, I was having a hard time discerning that gangster 
and mm. the flashback Arthur Reeves. Not that they really look anything alike, but for some reason I was just, I kept getting confused as to who was who. Well, I mean, if there is one thing about the Bruce Tim art style, it's everybody is white and everybody has very dark hair. Absolutely everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's the vast majority of males, it seemed. And so, yeah, I could, I could see... Um, you know where you got that from because yeah they do they do have somewhat similar features so still in the flashback Bruce and Alfred uh, go back to the cave where the bats came out of um, but unfortunately Alfred hands Bruce a note that he just got uh, apparently Andrea left him and returned the ring and oh shit she left the richest man like you know in Gotham potentially the world and we have no idea why and it's like oh shit hmm. uh, but ultimately this is what pushes Bruce hard back into the vigilante life and him creating Batman. So that pain uh, that this lady gave him from, you know, shutting him down makes him wants to go beat people up. I get that. <laughs> Every time he got dumped, you wanted to go beat people up? Yeah. John, it <laughs> happened a lot. <laughs> it happened a lot. So, yeah. I wanted to beat up a lot of people. Okay. Maybe that's why I took to uh, more physical, violent sports, like hockey and rugby, right? To, just to get that out. <laughs> Maybe that was it. All the pain that I had inside from being turned down so much. <laughs> we need a couch, and I need a clipboard. And I'd ask you about your mother, but I already know. <laughs> I get it. Because you're, you're my therapist. Got right. it, John. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, we're back to the present time, and uh, old man Valestra visits this old amusement park that we saw earlier on. Apparently, this is like Joker's headquarters. Valestra wants him to do business with him, and he wants to pay the Joker to kill Batman, which, if you know anything about the Joker, like, that's a silly thing. The Joker always wants to kill Batman. Right. But also, at the same time, he loves Batman, and I don't know if he can kill Batman right. because he loves him so fucking much. It's a very interesting dynamic between Batman and Joker. But anyway, we cut back to Andrea, who Who's finishing her date with Arthur and she goes back to her hotel room and Batman is already there you know he's trying to ask her about her father and get some information about that you know in doing so she pretty much she calls him out right there she doesn't say hey I know you're Bruce Wayne but she basically does by saying you still following your dad's orders the way I see it the only one in this room controlled by his parents is you and that's how the scene ends. And I think that's actually pretty badass. Hmm. Uh, she's she's smart. She figured out. it's She knows that that's Bruce under the cowl. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, we cut to the Phantasm, who's breaking into Valestro's place. But because Sal was stupid enough to do a dealing with the Joker, he was already killed. The Joker kind of obviously gassed him. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, in that dead Joker smile uh, sitting on his chair. But Joker set up a camera. Uh, to see whoever, you know, was the one going after these people and ends up exploding the apartment. <laughs> Guess the joke is on me. You're not Batman after all. Looks like there's a new face in Gotham. And soon his name will be all over town. To say nothing of his legs, feet, and spleen, and head. Phantasm gets out. Obviously, the explosion means Batman wants to come to comes to the scene to check it out. Uh, sees the Phantasm and chases him down. The Phantasm is able to get away, and the police now see Batman and they start chasing him. Uh, they go to a construction site, and I will say one of the stranger things in this scene is the police are incredibly liberal with their firearm use in this scene. <laughs> Batman hasn't attacked the police at all. But they are firing on him like crazy. Right. 
I don't think that's not really typically what you see uh, with police. Mm. But Batman does end up getting away. Luckily, he very uh, ingeniously uses his cape and cowl to, as a diversion, uh, and he escapes. But uh, Andrea luckily pulls up in a car and drives him away. They are at Wayne Manor, and Alfred bandages Bruce up. And Andrea kind of confesses um, about you know what happened the night that she sent his ring back. So we flash back to that moment. Andrea, you know, came into the house with mobsters. They were hitting up her dad for money that he owed them. Uh, And to save them both, Carl decided that, you know, they needed to go on the lam. They had to skip town um, or else, you know, they both would be dead. We get a we get a couple good things in the scene, you know, that kind of like just little setup stuff. Um, you know, she she also mentions that you know there is a connection uh, about the costume person who is killing the mobsters with her father. Basically, Batman is assumes now that it's her father who's out there as the phantasm killing them, mm-hmm. and basically this is why Andrea is back to stop him, uh, to find him and stop him. Uh, they end up kissing. Then we cut to the next morning, and she's wearing one of Bruce's shirts. Oh, all right. Good job, Batman. Bruce Wayne getting it on. Uh, So good for him. But they are pretty much immediately back in love, if you will. But while looking at pictures of Carl Beaumont, he notices a person in the background of one of the shots. He realizes, oh, shit, that guy looks a lot like my big nemesis, the Joker, uh, just without makeup on or Mm -hmm. without the white face and green hair and stuff. So we then cut to Arthur Reeves, who he now gets visited by the Joker because Joker wants to know who the person is that's killing the mobsters. Joker ends up infecting Arthur with, you know, his Joker venom. Or whatever it's called. We cut to the mental hospital, and Arthur is just like laughing his ass off. He's uh, he's fucked up. <laughs> I was broke, desperate. They said all they wanted was their money back. <laughs> but Batman starts to question him. He's trying to find out more information about Beaumont because apparently. Arthur double-crossed Beaumont. One, first he helped them escape and get out, but then, you know, because of the mobsters were hitting him up on stuff, he ended up letting them know where he was. Mm-hmm. We then then are at uh, Andrea's hotel room, and Batman sees a little locket, and he gets a call. Uh, and it's the Joker, and the Joker ends up sending a bomb. Uh, it's, you know, it's this, is, this movie does move pretty quickly. It's only... And it's less than an hour and 20 minutes. Right. Uh, it's like an hour 15 or something. Um, but we just kind of keep moving, keep moving on, on everything that we've got. Uh, Batman, you know, escapes out of the uh, the apartment. The bomb does not kill him because he's Batman. He's awesome. Uh, we cut to Andrea at the amusement park and we get a flashback um, of some time when the former Joker as a hitman uh, who came and killed Carl Beaumont for the mob. So this must have been a while ago. Uh, because the Joker has been around for a little bit, but Arthur must have double-crossed him and let them know where he was uh, a good bit ago. And so Carl's actually dead. And we cut back to the present. The Phantasm appears at Joker's place to kill him because the Phantasm knows that the Joker was a part of that group as well. Joker, your angel of death awaits. The Joker says, a, I think, a particular, particularly interesting line. I'm impressed, lady. You're harder to kill than a cockroach on steroids. Did you figure out that it was uh, actually Andrea as the Phantasm before the Joker did, or did that kind of surprise you? I think I was tipped off going into the movie, so I knew ahead of time. Okay, because yeah, this this was your first time seeing the movie, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'd seen it uh, once before, way, way, way back, and I, I always remembered, or maybe just in conversation, 
conversation. I just knew that the phantasm um, was female mm-hmm. and not male. So it wasn't a surprise, but it's still a good twist. I think, you know, it's particularly a, a good twist for the, for the first time viewers um, who may not have had any knowledge into it. You know, it's a good, like a good detective story, honestly. Right. You know, you get one of those, you know, good little twists at the end that's just like, oh, shit, <laughs> Carl's actually dead. It's the daughter. She's the one killing everybody for vengeance. Yeah. So that that's kind of like the big reveal in this film. But uh, it's I think it's quite well done. I love that the Joker kind of figures it out because he's a smart guy. And uh, her and the Joker end up, you know, they're fighting. You know, they have a they have a good little fight. Andrew knows her stuff. But the Joker, you know, he's he's a pretty badass at what he does, too. And so just as he's about to kill her by sucking her into this giant fan, <laughs> Batman arrives. He saves her. Uh, the Joker is able to kind of get away for the moment. Bruce tries to reason with her to stop, but you know she kind of leave leaves in a cloud of smoke. And Joker reappears, and now Batman's follow follows him into like this little mini miniature Gotham, and they have a fight. And is honestly, it kind of reminded me is very King Kong versus Godzilla right. in that little miniature Batman model. I liked that they fight on a jetpack, uh, and after they crash, they uh, Andrea grabs the Joker. And she wants to just sit there and wait for like a massive explosion to kill Joker and just end everything. But instead, right before she takes the Joker and just kind of disappears in a phantasm smoke. Um, so, but Batman luckily gets away using water pipes uh, and he is safely away from the explosion. Back in the Bat Cave, Bruce is sad and he notices this little glimmer that, you know, the locket was left there. Uh, the locket that has a little picture of Andrea and Bruce in it. Uh, and we cut to Andrea on a cruise, just kind of leaving Gotham. Um, and, you know, we just, she's there and she's going to be alone forever. But the my kind of question that I had is, I'm not really sure what she did with the Joker. That was not resolved. Like, did she actually kill the Joker? I don't think so, because in the show, the Joker comes back. And if if this is canon with the animated series, she obviously didn't. So it just kind of went unsaid what what she did with the Joker and how she left with him. Um, So I kind of would have liked a little bit more resolution there. What are your thoughts on that? I actually know what or what the official DC... Well, then tell me, John. Okay. Uh, so there was a, a, a comic, I think, called The New Batman Adventures that was an expansion on the DC Animated Universe. And it expanded from that. And apparently what happened was is she drags him into the sewer. They fight for a while. And then an explosion from above separates them and knocks him into the water where he's carried away. Okay. All right. Fair enough. It would, I would have liked to have some of that, but I guess they were just trying to get you to, you know, go watch this other show or read this other comic, whatever I, it was. Yeah, I'm not really sure if it was something that was planned ahead or mm-hmm. was a result of the movie or, or what. I just know that it existed. Okay. All right. Um, and in the end, we see Batman getting the bat signal and continuing his life as a masked vigilante. And as the credits roll, we get this very kind of cheesy, sad romance song uh, as it's going. <laughs> And uh, that song is actually called I Never Even Told You, and it was performed by Tia Carrera. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) which I thought was pretty cool. 
Uh, yeah, I, f- I plowed through that movie. Right. Uh, I mean, there's not like a lot of, not, not to say that there's not a lot of depth in that film, because I think there is, and particularly for a Batman animated film. Right. But it was one that I don't really remember at all. I remember like tiny little bits. It's one you've never seen before. Right. So it's not like you had a lot of comments to, to add to it. But as an animated film as well, you know, you, you get, and, and it being a children's animated film, you know, you get just like kind of moving the plot along pretty quickly. But... Like the Batman animated series, there are certain things to it that really help elevate it, like the art style, mm-hmm. like the voice acting. That's top tier voice acting right there. Um, the writing was obviously really good because they did some really nice foreshadowing early on that you could kind of be like, if you watched it again, uh, you could kind of see little things to be like, oh, Andrea is the killer. Yeah. You know, I mean, like any good, like a, like a Hitchcock, right? Anybody who does like good writing, you know, with these twists or something, you're you're supposed to foreshadow it. It really helps. Right. And when we first see her, she's like all in this dark shadow and you just kind of see her lips. And so she's kind of like covered by shadow and whatnot. So um, that's the little thing to me that screamed foreshadowing. Also, when she did that little martial arts move. Early on right. in the flashback with Bruce, you kind of see like, okay, no, she can fight too. Right. That a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, and even in some of the lines, she said at one point, she said to Bruce, I had to come back and daddy doesn't matter anymore. Um, which at this point, you didn't know that her dad was dead. Right. You know, but to her, he is dead. And, you know, that's she had to come back for the vengeance. You know, so I, little things like that that are really good and really hold up. I also I do want to talk about I liked the flashback style of the film. Um, it, it, it went back and forth pretty often between the quote-unquote present day and the flashbacky time um, of a younger Bruce Wayne with his life with Andrea and things like that. And in getting to see Bruce Wayne really become Batman is really interesting to me. It, it's not particularly the beginning story. We've all seen the fucking death scene of his parents a hundred times, a hundred different ways, and I'm tired of that. <laughs> but these little moments that are like the... What are the tipping point moments? You know, the the times where he like really pushed into the vigilante over the regular life. And this is what we're getting in the film. And that's why I think that's what makes this movie so interesting. And what makes it, you know, I don't want to say it's a cult classic, but it is one that failed in the box office. This movie made about $5 million in the box office, which is atrocious, (laughs) (laughs) you know, even for that time. Well... This it was not originally planned that this was going to be a theatrical release. It was going to be straight mm-hmm. to video, and then kind of late in the production, Warner Brothers said, "No, we're going to make this a theatrical release." While everyone was excited about that, that meant the animators had to go. Mm-hmm. Production time on this movie was eight months for an yeah. animated Which film. For an animated, as an, yeah. that's insanely fast. Mm-hmm. And actually, I read this one little tidbit that um, when they reviewed the film, uh, Siskel and Ebert actually both said that they regretted not seeing it in its uh, theatrical release because they actually enjoyed mm-hmm. it more than I think Siskel said that he liked it better than Batman Returns and Batman Forever. <laughs> yeah. All right. So well, they, oh, must, okay. well, they must not have reviewed it until a, f- a couple years later if he was comparing it to Batman yeah. Forever because Batman Forever wasn't until like 95. Yeah, something like that. All right. Uh, well, let's, let's kind of transition from that because, you know, they talked about what they that they liked it better than some of those films. We don't really have this as much in our nostalgia. Now, Jeremy has told me this is his favorite Batman movie, period. Like, huh. better than Dark Knight. Right. Like, this is when he thinks Batman movie, this is the one. So, where do, would you say someone you know who hasn't seen this, but someone who appreciates the Batman animated show, where would you say this ranks in the world of Batman films? Oh, geez. For you. For me? Yeah. Ugh. 
Jeremy's not going to like my answer. <laughs> That's okay. Hopefully he won't, uh, you know, un- un- take away his patronage. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, I got to think about all the different Batman movies there are. Are we counting stuff like Justice League, the movie? Yeah, if you, I would count that if you are want. We t- are we talking strictly, uh, strictly Batman? Can't, John, this is your list. You count wherever you want to put it. Um, see, I, I have a much bigger nostalgia pull for a lot of the different stuff. The 89 Batman, mm-hmm. probably Batman Returns, all three of the Christopher Nolan ones I liked better. I didn't hate Justice League. No, I didn't hate it either. I, but I know a, lo- a lot of people did, but I, I didn't hate it. When it came out on digital, I bought it. I've watched it a few times. I, I thought it was fun. Mm-hmm. I think... I actually think that uh, Ben Affleck got way too much shit for his Batman, where I actually kind of enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Just just for the nostalgia factor, I'd probably still put the 66 Batman above it. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. So you are, right, now we are, we're getting into Schu- Sh- uh, Schumacher territory down here, John. <laughs> well, we're talking about Adam, the Adam West movie. No, 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 I know. I'm saying we were gone past all of that, and now we are down to the Joel Schumacher stuff that you're putting this one with. Uh, I put it above that. Okay. All right. <laughs> both of them? Uh, both Batman and Robin and Forever, or? I would tie it with Batman Forever. Okay. All right. And it's 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 horrible to say, but, uh, and I'll kind of say this, uh, it is, I, it's not that I hated this movie. I didn't particularly enjoy it. I actually found it uh. to be very slow. Huh. Okay. To me, I would have much preferred this just have been like a two-part episode of the series mm-hmm. and not its own movie. But I liked Batman the Animated Series. I don't have the same nostalgia for it that I know you do. Yeah. I, I do like the Batman Animated Series more than you, uh, which we talk about in that episode. <laughs> so go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> it wasn't bad. I mean, yeah. I, I had my son watch it with me. And he seemed to enjoy it mostly, although I think he also found himself kind of drifting a while. Because they did kind of touch on some pretty adult stuff. Yeah, they did. And, and I don't mean like adult as in inappropriate, but just adult as, adult as in cognitively things that I know he was not going to understand. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably why I think it, it, it resonates with some people as they've gotten older, right. like Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it does have those themes that makes it, you know, watchable when you're older. Um, I did like this movie better than you did. Yep. Now, as you mentioned, it did kind of feel just like a long episode of the animated series, which is a good thing for me because mm-hmm. I like the animated series. Right. I would probably rank it. It's definitely not the best. It's not It's not at the top. It's not the top, but it's in that top area-esque. It's not as good as Dark Knight. It's not as good as 1989 Batman. It's not as good as Batman Begins. It's probably not as good as Dark Knight Rises, but it's around then. Uh So I'd probably give it like, you know, around that Batman Returns, Dark Knight Rises, Mask of the Phantasm, because it's it's got some really good themes to it. There's a lot of good filmmaking in there that I really, really appreciate. Uh, So I still find it to be quite good. As as I've mentioned before, man, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. That's my fucking Batman and Joker till I die. I also should say, I haven't really seen any of the other animated Batman movies that have come out. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of... Yeah, you didn't see the the Mr. Freeze one? Yeah, I kind of saw... Well, not just the animated series ones, but like Under the Red Hood. Oh, gotcha, yeah. I actually have seen part of the Red Hood. I haven't seen the whole thing. Um, I started watching it really late one night and kind of fell asleep while I was watching it, so... But like you know, it, it like Hush or Ninja Batman or any of the yeah. recent ones, I haven't seen any of those. 
No, I, and I've only seen a few. I mean, Hush is, is just came out not too long ago, so that'll be fun to check that one out. But I have seen Under the Red Hood, and I have seen uh, The Killing Joke, which I actually didn't care for The Killing Joke, but I was I was pretty toasty when I watched <laughs> that movie. It was actually at your place. Um, I was it was like I think over Christmas or something. I was pretty drunk when I watched it, but I just I didn't I didn't like it all that much. But um, anyway, but I did like Mask of the Phantasm. I thought this was a pretty damn good animated movie. Okay, I hope hope you're okay with that, Jeremy. <laughs> all right, now we are going to talk Scrubs. And this is probably the portion of the episode that John and I are much more excited about. Particularly, John is much, much more excited about this than he is Mask of the Phantasm, I'm assuming, yeah? Eagle! (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, Scrubs is a show, because I've seen it multiple times through, like I'm sure you have, I I doubt we'll be able to talk about every little thing about the show like I want to. Honestly, this show warrants its own fucking podcast (laughs) to talk about. We love it that much. Maybe we should start a side podcast like you and Corey have for... And yeah, do every episode of Scrubs. Yeah. Honestly, I <laughs> the second I finished watching some of this and doing my notes, I started to look to see if other podcasts have done that. And, and one had. There was one Scrubs podcast that they did that. I don't know how they broke it down or whatnot. Right. But... You know, it did kind of, kind of make me think like, damn, this would be a fun show to talk about. So, yeah. All right. Scrubs, uh, it ran from night or from <laughs> 2001 to 2010. It had nine seasons, 182 episodes. And this is a show I love so much that I own all eight seasons right. uh, on DVD. Uh, and I say oh, I own all eight seasons because that ninth season, no one gives a fuck about. And no one, <laughs> no one, no one even talks about it. Any like true Scrubs fan, I feel is like. Eh, yeah. no, not not that ninth season, and and even for me, the eighth season is pretty iffy too. Yeah, but yeah, that nine one ninth one is is really atrocious. The first seven seasons aired on NBC, and then they decided not to pick it up after that. But ABC picked it up, and they did seasons eight and nine. The show was created by Bill Lawrence, who created a couple other you know pretty popular shows. Uh, specifically, Spin City mm-hmm. was one that he created, which is very popular, and then also. Uh, a show that came later called Cougar Town, right. which I watched an episode of two of Cougar Town, and I hated it. I thought it was so bad. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't my cup of tea either. This series follows the lives of employees at this fictional hospital called Sacred Heart, and I believe it was set in Seattle. There was even a half season spinoff show called Scrubs Interns that I watched maybe an episode of that and it was really, really bad. So yeah. yeah, they tried. They tried to keep it going, but it didn't work. Yeah. So this show stars Zach Braff as JD slash John Dorian. You know him from Garden State if you don't know him from Scrubs. Donald Faison plays Dr. Turk. You know him from Clueless mm-hmm. if you uh, don't know him from this. Uh, John C. McGinley played Dr. Cox and he has been in literally a million things. I, for me, I probably think of him besides... This character. I think of him from Office Space. Yeah. Um, he was also in Platoon. Yeah. And he was even a contestant on American Gladiators. Really? Yeah. There was there was like a celebrity episode from like the early 90s, oh. and uh, he was on it. I'm going to have to go find that. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> Sarah Chalk plays Elliot Reed, and you might know her from Roseanne. She was the second Becky right. that came in, <laughs> not the original. And she also had a, a little part in uh, How I Met Your Mother. For a little bit as well yeah also uh if you're a fan of rick and morty you would know her because she is the voice of beth 
the wife. Okay. I do not watch Rick and Morty. Oh, I resisted for a long time, and then I started watching it, and I got sucked into it. Yeah, I know a lot of people like that. I gave like the first two episodes a try, and it didn't suck me in after two episodes, so I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to continue from that. But I know a lot of people who adore the show. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, continuing with this great cast, we've got Ken Jenkins, who played Bob Kelso. Uh, he has been in a lot of different things, but this is the show that I recognized him most from. Yeah, Neil Flynn, who we've talked about a lot on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we love Neil Flynn. He plays the janitor. Uh, we talked about him in, the, in our review of Rookie of the Year. But he also had a very popular show that ran for over 200 episodes called The Middle. Yeah. Which I've never seen it. I watched it. It was funny. It was okay for a, you know, for a sitcom okay. show. It, it wasn't anything that grasped me. It's kind of like Modern Family in that Modern Family never grasped me either. And I know a lot of people love that one, but okay. it was still funny. I just never went out of my way to watch it. Yeah, I, I want to give it a shot mainly just because I like Neil Flynn so much. So it's like, well, yeah, sure. I'll, I got to try it. Yeah. Uh, and then Judy Reyes plays Carla, and she's been in a couple different things. Um, she had a show, short-lived show called Devious Maids that was not too long ago, and then now she's on a new show called Claws. But um, yeah, so that's our main cast. Uh, but this show is a definite ensemble. Yeah. And it had just a fan... I'm not going to get into every single one of them, but I'm going to just talk about, you know, there's a fantastic group of side characters from the show. Ted, uh, the Todd, Laverne, Jordan, Doug... Keith, uh, Danny, Jordan's sister, uh, Randall, uh, and then even there's like even like the lesser ones who are just like the minor reoccurring characters who I just love when they pop up, like Mickhead, who <laughs> apparently you think you know killed his wife, uh, Beardface or Beardfacet, <laughs> Cabbage, uh, ridiculous character there. And there is this one character uh, who I appreciate. I don't appreciate him as the, in the show, but he's fine in the show. Uh, I can't even remember his name. He's the they have a super like attractive male gynecologist on the show who appears like maybe like five or six episodes. I don't remember. Right. But uh, the actor is Jay Johnson. uh, And I've got a Jay Johnson story. Oh, okay. So a director for a film that I was working on uh, apparently was friends with Jay. And Jay is apparently, at least at the time, I don't know, he was looking for these certain set of lamps. (laughs) And he really wanted these lamps. And he found them on like Craigslist, but they were up near the Yosemite area. And he didn't really have the time to go up there. So he was looking for somebody to go pick up the lamps and come back and he would, you know, pay for the, you know, for the driving and some extra money and whatnot. Right. And so uh, this director, you know, I said, hey, Adam, what do you got going on? I was like, I'll go drive up to Yosemite and pick up some fucking lamps. Right. Sure. <laughs> uh, so I uh, had a fantastic trip. That was that was the only time I've been up to Yosemite. I want to go back. But I went up. I picked up these lamps for him. Um, I drove him all the way back. I had a fun little trip with I brought a buddy with me, Flippo, if he's listening to this podcast hopefully he will um and we had a hell of a trip we absolutely loved it but it was it was ridiculous on top of that uh (laughs) then we went and dropped them off uh for jay and to also thank us you know he gave us gave us the money and then we smoked a blunt (laughs) 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 and that that was my jay johnson story he opened the door he looked exactly like james franco's character from pineapple express (laughs) like Literally wearing like the exact same garb, I feel. And I'm not much of a weed smoker, but like, you know, he offered it and I was like, sure, fuck it. Why not? And so so we did. And and then I left and that's my my Jay Johnson story. So I I smoked weed uh, with the attractive male gynecologist from Scrubs. I'm sure a lot of ladies were jealous. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. So... 
Um, all right. Besides some of those side characters, there's also a whole bunch of uh, really strong actors, great actors who had some like you know one-off roles or just were in a couple episodes. Right. Uh, people like Elizabeth Banks was actually a fairly reoccurring character, but people like Michael J. Fox, mm-hmm. Heather Locklear, Mandy Moore, Amy Smart, Carrie Russell, John Ritter, Brendan Fraser, Arlie Ermey. Matthew Perry, Colin Farrell, a, a whole bunch of them yeah. were a part of this show at some point. Um, and even just like talking about every single one of those, I remember like immediately I knew, remember their character. I remember the episode. Right. This is a show that uh, just, God, I fucking love it. I, every now and then me and my wife, this this goes on like our rotation. Yeah. If it's not Seinfeld, then it is Parks and Rec or The Office or Always Sunny in Philadelphia or it's Scrubs, Mm -hmm. um, or Bob's Burgers. It's one of those shows that we are just like, all right, this is going to be our continuous show. And so we will just binge and let it ride. And, you know, even if we're not like paying attention, but it's like in the background. Right. And this is one of those that we will always come back to eventually. Yeah. We we restarted. It's been a while since we really watched a lot of these, but we started about two weeks ago knowing that we were going to record this. And uh, we're still only in like season three. But uh, I mean, I've already seen all the episodes anyway, so I wasn't yeah. I wasn't worried yeah, if I, I wasn't going to be caught up on the whole show by the time we recorded this. And I remember we actually were pretty late to the game getting into Scrubs. Mm-hmm. Like they were already on the downswing, I think, once we got into it. But I fell into it hard and went back and rewatched yeah. everything multiple times. Absolutely. I, I remember watching this uh, in college is when I got started. It was it was maybe about halfway through its run or something. Mm-hmm. That's when I started started watching it and I bought you know the first couple seasons on DVD and would watch those and really enjoyed it there's a lot of special things about scrubs um, you know there's there's just fun things like things like Cox who has a different name for JD or you know just the thing that really defined the show at least artistically uh, or, or like how they kind of did a lot of the writing mm-hmm. um, was the use of JD's like either internal monologue he did he did a lot of narration for the show right. but also you really saw inside his head a lot and that was like the main thing about the show was you would see his little like you know his imagination going wild and you see you know him visualizing different things and they would become little comedic segues or kind of cutaways or something like that. Um, that really kind of became a thing that continued throughout the show yeah. for the entire run. And the, the writing on the show was great. And, and I attest to that by every time there was a guest actor, the parts were always funny. Yeah. Not just the actor themselves, but the character was always memorable Yeah, um, to the point where you're like, oh, I'd love to see that character again. And, you know, sometimes you would get to see him. Sometimes they'd bring on a guest for like a whole season, you know, someone who'd kind of start around the beginning of the season and end sort of the end of the season. That's uh, like uh, Heather Graham. You saw her for, yeah, uh, yep. I believe it was season six, five or six. I don't remember, but yeah, but she was on there for a good little bit. It, whichever one, whichever season they did the musical episode, it was the season before that, I think. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. I think that is. Six. That wasn't, I was going to say, I think the musical episode was season seven. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Uh, but you mentioned Elizabeth Banks. She was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would have liked to see more of like the Michael J. Fox character as well. He was really fun. Yeah. But everybody, there's you're right. The way you, way you put it, <laughs> they wrote great characters and you just, you wanted to see more. Right. It was really cool. And always, and the actors were always good. And even actors, I don't really watch all that much. Like recently I was watching uh, one of the episodes that, that uh, Jay Moore was on. Mm-hmm. And Jay Moore is okay. I'm not really a huge fan of Jay Moore. Some of his standup is funny, but the character he played on that on the show was great because it was a former colleague of Dr. Cox who had oh, like slept a pro- with his wife. Like a protege for Cox. Yeah. He's like the JD before JD. Right. Um, who slept with his wife. And Krista Miller plays uh, Dr. Cox's wife, who was actually Bill Lawrence's actual wife. 
Oh, which is also funny because JD also slept with Cox's wife. Yes, too. Yes, <laughs> ever. Hell, even though it was unknowingly. <laughs> yeah, true, true. She, he didn't know who she was at the time. But Jordan was a great character. Yeah, she was. Just because she was, I mean, she was kind of like she was harsh and brutally honest and funny, and there wasn't a character on the show that I just hated when it was on. Well, that's that is a very interesting about the show is that they did a fantastic job of showing the different sides and showing depth in every single character on the show. Yeah. There wasn't like that one person who was always the villain. Yes, at times like Jordan could be a villain or, you know, mainly Dr. Kelso mm -hmm. is kind of like the villain-esque but, you know, there are at times you see Dr. Kelso being incredibly vulnerable. Right. You know, he's got a gay son and a dog that he loves to all end. Um, and there are scenes where you see Dr. Kelso having to make these incredibly difficult decisions because he's the head of a fucking hospital. Right. And he has to decide, you know, do I let this one rich person live so they can give us a whole bunch of money so I can end up saving 20 more lives with it? As opposed to letting this homeless person stay and get they get this clinical trial or right. things like that, which I think is incredibly important uh, about to what makes the show uh, interesting to me is because you see so many sides of these characters. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was interesting is that it's even though it's basically like a sitcom, it's actually a single camera show. Mm, okay. So it's not multi-camera like a lot of sitcoms like, you know, like Seinfeld, How I Met Your Mother back in you know, yes. Big Bang Theory, they're multicam. This was a single camera show shot like that, but it's still essentially a sitcom. Yeah. I mean, but you you get, you know, different artistical artistical <laughs> uh, artistic values from doing a single camera shoot. Um, you know, you have to get a lot more coverage uh, and because the three camera shoot is meant for you do things in just as few takes as possible to get it shot and move on to the next show. Right. Um, you know, movies are shot, you know, single camera style. Right. Um, and that's kind of what they're known for. So I want to talk about, well, let's let's first talk about the theme song. I can't do this all on my own. No, I know I'm no Superman. Superman. I think the theme song is fun. You know, it's catchy. Mm -hmm. It gets me into the show. Uh, I, I really like the opening of it. Um, it's just it's just a fun little, you know, it's a good little song that gets you into the show. Which was actually suggested to Bill Lawrence by Zach Braff. Okay. He came to him and said, hey, you should check out this band. This song should be our theme song. Huh. Well, Zach Braff, he knows his music because I believe he also helped pick the music for the soundtrack of Garden State, mm -hmm. which, you know, had a fantastic right. uh, soundtrack to it. So as we're talking about music, I want to talk about the use of music in this show. Yeah. Uh, Scrubs uses music incredibly interesting to me, um, especially as, you know, a filmmaker or someone who studied film. They use music both diegetically and non-diegetically. And so what that means is uh, basically think of it as, as diegetic sourced music is music that you see the source from on screen. So, you know, for example, if you're, you see a band in the background and then you hear whatever the band is playing, mm -hmm. that's diegetic music. Non-diegetic is music that, you know, think like a typical soundtrack. Right. Something that is just playing that helps get the mood, that sets something, stuff like that. Something that the characters don't hear. Yes, exactly, that the characters don't hear. This show does both of them and both of them really, really well. For example, we'll talk about some some of the non-diegetic, you know, uses. There, There's a whole bunch of moments that 
this show would really kind of try to get you into the mood. And for me, it was a lot of the times that they were being much more of their dramatic side mm-hmm. than they were their comedic side, that they would add some of these intense songs. And they were, you know, very either popular or indie music right. based songs that that really captured into it. Uh, and then on the flip side with the diegetic side, there's some really cool moments. Uh, one, they had an entire musical episode. Right. That, you know, you, you, so you see diegetic music there. The first uh, episode of season two, Colin Hay, who is the lead, he was the lead singer of Men, uh, Men at Work, yeah. you know, the Land Down Under people. Right. Uh, he's just kind of like, you know, in quote unquote in JD's head, but just singing the song Overkill, um, just like in the background, but you see him doing it, following him around. At least there's pretty lights, though there's little variation. It nullifies. I have other songs. There you do. Uh, there's a patient that as she dies, you know, you get a big, grand, imaginary scene from JD where she sings Waiting for My Real Life to Begin. Mm-hmm. That's also in season two. Yeah. Any minute now, my ship is coming in. I'll keep checking the horizon. Stand on the bow Feel the waves come crashing Come crashing down, down, down on me um, Ted's band, obviously, they <laughs> use that all the time. Uh, and a good a good moment that they had was when they were singing Over the Rainbow for the Wizard of Oz episode. Right. Somewhere over the rainbow, skies are blue, and the dreams that you dare to dream really do come Even the air band episode was awesome, and you see like diegetic music in there. Uh, and they have this whole episode where they kind of like make fun of three camera sitcoms and things like that. And Clay Aiken was a guest, and he does a song on that one as well. Right. I think he does uh, Isn't She Lovely. Isn't she lovely? Isn't she wonderful? Isn't she precious? Less than 
even well, as I say, that's another thing. Even Clay Aiken, who generally speaking, I don't really care for his music. I don't really care for him. Mm-hmm. His character on the show was very interesting. Yeah, he, I mean, I he's there's no way he's not no way he's not known as an actor, right? You know, he is a singer. But I liked his character, and I and I he was believable, and I, I you're probably right. You know, put that into the writing of the character. I absolutely believed it. Right, and putting him with a cast who knows what they're doing can help him along yeah. the way and make him look good as he's doing whatever it is. I I think that's really a testament to the cast too. Mm-hmm. They can bring anyone in, and the cast is going to help them elevate their role in addition to what they're already doing. Yeah. Totally. Uh, Something that I thought was specifically special and maybe is even unique to Scrubs. I think this show is able to switch from comedy to drama like no other show I've seen. I totally agree. Yeah. And it sometimes it does it incredibly quickly. You know, you'll get a slapstick moment of Eagle or, you know, JD running into something. And then the very next scene or hell, the you know, the very next shot, it's something intense because you know, they have to tie in a medical drama into this comedic sitcom. Right. Um, and so you go back and forth and you get everything in that spectrum. I've had been watching this show before where I am laughing my head off. And then I've had times where I'm bawling my eyes out because it's so emotional. Yeah. And this show, it's it's all over that. And it and it does it so goddamn well. <laughs> yeah. There was a an episode from season one and I specifically s- seeked it out. To watch it, and I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head. Where they had, where all three, all three of the main interns, JD, Elliot, and Turk, had someone die on them. Oh yeah, and I think they actually got nominated for an Emmy for that episode. I don't remember if they won the Emmy, but I think they definitely got nominated for it. Mm-hmm. And it's a heavy episode. Yeah, they they have some some definite heavy episodes, and I want to talk about some of our favorite episodes later. Sure. So I don't want to bring too much up of that right now. Something else I absolutely loved about the show was the bromance between Turk and JD. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that is one of the all time best couples on TV <laughs> <laughs> TV history, in my opinion. You know, they they encapsulate bromance. You know, you know, non sexual guys can just love each other and like legitimately love each other and care for each other and it's not sexual and it's not homophobic or any of that kind of stuff. It's just two guys who are the best of friends. Right. You know, with the song from the musical episode Guy Love, that really just it, that's a perfect <laughs> way to put their relationship. Let's face the facts about me and you a love unspecified. Though I'm proud to call you Chocolate Bear The crowd will always talk and stare I feel exactly those feelings too And that's why I keep them inside Cause this bear can't bear the world's disdain And sometimes it's easier to hide Than explain our guy love That's all it is Guy love, he's mine, I'm his There's nothing about it in our eyes. That one, I, I remember the lead up to that episode because they were advertising for it pretty heavily. Even uh, Zach Braff and Donald Faison actually went on, it might have been Conan. It was one of the late night guys. They actually went on a late night truck show and sang that song like as the musical guest. <laughs> Uh-huh. Oh, that's awesome to try, try so and they were, get people yeah. into it. So, like, there was no musical act. They were the musical act that night. That's awesome. So I like that. They performed that song just to kind of get people in. 
Uh, and the things that they did together was so much fun. Like, if it wasn't them playing with their dead stuffed dog, uh, Rowdy, <laughs> which was awesome, right. <laughs> then, you know, it was them doing silly stuff like playing Jiggly Ball or doing the world's tallest doctor or the multi-ethnic Siamese doctor, uh, stuff like that. Right. They were just, they were a fucking hoot, man. <laughs> Bedpan racing. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, there was just, there were some overall, some just good running gags from this show. Uh, one, one of them that I kind of remember, Turk cannot remember his wife's middle name (laughs) and it's just other stuff like that. There's just a whole bunch of these little things that make this show so rewatchable. And I think because people like you, me, and very likely Jeremy who nominated this show have seen this one multiple times through because Mm -hmm. of all of these different little running gags or the great writing or the way you can get all of your different types of feelings in this show makes it worth watching again. It's not a it's not a one hit wonder at all. It's a show. It's a roller coaster, and that's definitely why I keep going back to it myself. Mm-hmm. I've got some favorite episodes I'd love to talk about, but is there anything else in particular you want to bring up about Scrubs? Uh, in general, no. I think we covered pretty much covered a lot of that. Yeah, we can't do this show justice in just like you know a little. 15 20 minute blurb it is a show that honestly deserves its own podcast to talk about it Mm -hmm. or you know everybody out there go watch it it's that fucking good i guarantee that's a that's a guarantee that's a blast from our past guarantee (laughs) (laughs) so uh all right so some of our favorite episodes for me the musical episode is not my favorite, but it's one of my absolute favorites. Right. Uh, I love the air band episode. I yep. just see the way they use the music is a great one. The finale was really strong as well. But for me, if anybody asks me what my favorite episode of Scrubs is, I love the episode My Lunch, which is the episode where a minor reoccurring character, Tracy, dies and Dr. Cox uses her organs to try and save these other people. Oh, yes. But she has rabies, and so these other three people end up dying from that. Cox, it kind of puts him down into like a spiral. Yeah. And, you know, which actually kind of continues through a couple episodes, I think. Right. You know, there is a specific scene, you know, when all of them are crashing, um, the Frey song, How to Save a Life, comes up. And the way that, I mean, that, that, the way they use that non-diegetic music is so fucking good and it's so intense. And I just like sit there and it just makes me just cry and just, you know, you feel for Cox and he's just, his failure and the intensity and the drama that's going on. You know, of course there's moments in that episode that are funny, but then it just, it pulls you in every direction. So for me... I, I love the episodes that make me feel that much. You know, there was a really good one where Brendan Fraser, uh, who plays Jordan's brother, mm-hmm. um, is dead and they have to go to the funeral. And again, Cox is kind of like the main guy. John C. McGinley does a great job in this show. He is a he is a fantastic actor. Yeah. And having to play someone who is as angry and crazy as Dr. Cox, but then, you know, he does, when he gets emotional, boy, does he turn it on, or when he has to, you know, show his alcoholism and that kind of stuff as well, you know, that that is a very interesting character, which I, who I think for a lot of people might be their favorite character on the show. Right. Might be for me as well. I, I love Kelso as well, because I think he's got similar stuff where... You know, he has some of that depth that you don't you don't see maybe as much as you do with Cox. But uh, but yeah, so those are some of my favorite ones. I could talk about <laughs> honestly, I could talk about every single episode, but uh, any other standout episodes for you? Yeah. Uh, well, the ones you mentioned are, are obviously uh, ones that I loved as well. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the other serious ones, the one I was thinking about from season one is called My Old Lady. That was only the fourth episode into the whole series. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's the that's the one. Yeah, JD has the, she's a great little character actress, but she's that really old lady, right? Yeah. And I think she 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 dies at the end of it. Yeah, I think she actually, if I remember correctly, I think she actually holds the record for the most on screen deaths of any person. <laughs> Because that she's be she's awesome. died and she was in uh, she was in Desperate Housewives and I think she died in that. Um, she was in The West Wing and she died in that. Um, <laughs> she was in that like I think she has more on screen deaths than anyone else, uh, in, at least in a dramatic series. Um, there was an episode called My Cake uh, where we find out that JD's father's died. Now JD's father was played by John Ritter and they decided to do this episode in response to John Ritter actually passing away. And so yeah, they felt yeah. they should pay homage to John Ritter by doing this episode and kind of acknowledge uh, that way they could, you know, one, you can tie up the story because now you no longer have yes. that actor, but it gives them an opportunity to kind of pay homage to this uh, guy who yeah. was actually hilariously funny anytime he was on the show playing JD's dad more so than I think I'd ever really seen him in any other show like very slapsticky I agree I, I wasn't uh I didn't watch you know was a three's company or whatever like you know back in the day mm-hmm. um, but I did enjoy his character now a character I did not actually enjoy and I still don't really enjoy when he's on screen is JD's brother I just don't care for him oh, I like him fine <laughs> some people do yeah some people do Another one, which has always been one of my favorites, is My Own American Girl, which is the season premiere from season three. The three, they're, they're, they've kind of been left alone, and they have to get something done, and but they won't let Elliot do anything because she's like she's a wreck. And then she just goes off on a tangent, cuts her hair, and yes, like when she comes yeah, in, you and get ta- the new Elliot Reed. Yeah, she comes in and, and uh, tells off the radiologist or whatever. It's a really uh, sort of uplifting and, and motivational scene there's um gosh it's hard to pick single episodes but most of the ones like that are, are kind of some of my favorites yeah. uh laverne laverne's death yes. is a very emotional one as well I, I rewatched that one actually just in this group that i was watching yeah. and that was a an intense one you know when carla has to say her goodbye to laverne it's just like fuck man <laughs> yeah this show just kind of <laughs> to tell you this show has had, had such kind of an impact on my life my wife and i have a habit that came out of this show and we still do it now. We still do it all the time. <laughs> Actually two habits that come out of the show that we do. A lot of times you'll see JD and Turk do the wonder twins thing where they put the fists together and then turn them as if they're interlocking the rings and then pull apart. Yeah. And you know, the wonder twin powers activate. My wife and I do that anytime we fist bump, we fist bump and then uh-huh. do the twist <laughs> and pull. Yeah. I have definitely noticed that. And then we also do uh, anytime Todd high fives anyone, he snaps afterwards. Oh yeah. And my wife have d- and I have done that for a decade now. Every time we high five, we immediately <laughs> snap afterwards. Yeah, definitely notice that too. <laughs> and like it's, we still do it even when we went through a period of just not you know not having watched the show. It's still it's a habit that that hasn't gone away and probably will never go away until we die. Yeah, um, I mean, there's yeah, there's so many just quotes and little things like that that I I'm sure I say um, and that just kind of come up that I just I don't even think about it because I've seen the show so much that I just I, I say it and I love it and yeah, this is a fantastic show. Uh, it makes me so happy. Just yesterday, my daughter was showing my wife you know a house that she made on Minecraft. Uh-huh. And apparently she put the bathroom on the roof and my wife goes, look, John, it's an epiphany toilet, <laughs> which is a <laughs> reference awesome. to one of the Michael J. Fox episodes yes. where they find a toilet on the roof and, and Michael J. Fox can't bring himself to sit on it because he's germaphobic and it, it becomes yeah. an epiphany toilet. I want to ask you, because I know I did, but did you also crush on uh, on Sarah Chalk because of this show? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she is super charming. I mean, granted, as is Carla, as is Jordan. Jordan is smoking hot, particularly in the early seasons. Right. Um, Jordan was crazy hot then. But there was just something about like the <laughs> nerdiness of Dr. Reed and Sarah Chalk. Um, but she was also later on, they kind of made her a little bit also, she was nerdy, but also a little dirty. She had these, she had these apple picker, uh, fantasies <laughs> and like, had her little German sexy, you know, outfits and things like that. Right. And it's just like, hello, Sarah Chalk. Yeah. Yes. Having watched the first three seasons, she actually spent a lot of time in her underwear in the first three seasons. They did. They did do that. I mean, that probably also helped, you know, when we were younger, younger men yeah. and you see uh, a female in just her bra, you, right. you do see that quite a bit actually with her, you know, it probably helps, you know, right. Why but that, yeah. Like they should have, they eventually, they kind of grew, you know, they grew out of that and they grew the character yes. into someone who, yes, is still nerdy and still, you know, has like her issues, but was a much stronger character. Yeah, she wasn't like behind like early the early seasons. She was like behind JD, and she was lesser than JD. Yeah. But then at, at after a point, like she became as strong as a doctor of him. You know, possibly stronger at times too. Yeah. He became. I hate to say it. They kind of. He kind of turned into a wimp towards the end of the series. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty. He was a wimp for sure. Um, but I think it's, that also didn't that didn't hinder the show because no. there were so many other characters that you could lean on or that you could love that you know you didn't need to adore JD always. He didn't have to be like this character that you wanted to be like. Like no, but there were because there were so many such a great cast. Right. I, I don't really have too much more to add. I mean, we've already kind of talked up the show uh, enough. Folk, yeah, we're gushing. We're gushing folks, here. Folks, if, if you've never seen the show and this doesn't get you excited to see the show, I, I don't know what's going to. <laughs> uh, maybe in the near future we'll have to start start a podcast talking about it because, God damn, it's good. <laughs> That's our review of Scrubs. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... Doctor, my belly ache. You got butterflies in your stomach. You got a Charlie horse. Operation. A broken heart, of course. Operation. The whitest crime is true. Operation. I'm the doctor for you. Operation. Remove the pieces and collect your fee, but don't touch the sides. <laughs> Water on the knee. Operation. How's another fee? Operation. A rib or two. Operation. I'm the doctor for you. All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. And as we mentioned at the top, we're going to be casting uh, Mask of the Phantasm as a live-action movie. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Live-action, yep. Okay. This is going to be interesting. I mean, first of all, it's Batman. Batman is a kind of controversial figure when it comes to casting. <laughs> yes, and he's constantly being recast. Yes. And this is not the first time we've cast a Batman. Correct. Curious if we were going to use the same Batmans that both of us cast before. I knew I wasn't because when I cast my Batman and Robin, I cast it in the vein of the Batman 66 sort of goofy, campy one. So I knew I was going to redo it. So uh, the, the from the movie, the characters we're going to cast are Batman, Joker, Alfred, Commissioner Gordon, uh, Andrew Beaumont, Carl Beaumont, Arthur Reeves, and Salvatore Valestra. Some interesting choices here because it, this is essentially kind of like... You get a lot of sort of gangster movie vibes from some of this, mm-hmm. so this allows, I think, for some interesting casting. Um, I'm very happy with my casting. Interested to see what your thoughts are on what I cast for them. One of them you might take issue with. I might understand why, but we'll see when we get there. Okay. Yeah, I, I found it difficult to do this casting, partly just because Batman and the Batman franchise casting is just 
it's constantly happening yeah. and it's just constantly it's it's tough to get it right because you know i'm also you know in like that group is just like oh you cast him as batman uh, or other <laughs> stuff but then you know then i see him yeah. and then it's fine like you know i'm curious i'm trying to be as open-minded as possible to robert pattinson as batman right um and i my approach to this casting was i'm not trying to think of this as the start of a franchise right or anything like that i'm just trying to like you know what i'm trying to think of like like the joker like the batman movies they have recently this is a one-off and i just want to cast whoever i think would be really good in this one-off batman that's just that's how i took it now i generally speaking i think i cast a little bit older than maybe would have been necessary Mm. for the timeline however they can young them up i don't care I, 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 went, I went with actors who I think fit the frame, and then I can just worry about mm-hmm. you know whether or not they need to look old or young later. You can go multiple routes because of the story here, and you get a lot of flashbacks that are at least like 10, 10 or 15 years earlier. I found that to, to make it even more difficult on which route I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Do I want to cast more on the younger side who would fit more naturally in those flashback scenes, or did I want to cast a little bit older side who then you could young up to also fit the, to fit those flashbacks as, or vice versa? Right. Uh, so I tended to go maybe slightly older, but not all that old, honestly. Okay. I, I, yeah, I, I kind of, yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, let's go ahead and start with uh, Salvatore Valestra, who was the gangster who like, essentially put the head out on Carl Beaumont and tried to hire the Joker, uh, much to his chagrin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good one, John. That was actually pretty good. I saw that, I saw that coming to your head and, and, and as you said it, and you're like, oh, that worked really well. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, it did. Uh, all right. Uh, do you want to go first or would you like me to go first? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll go first. I'm pretty happy with my choice. Okay. You know, Salvatore uh, Valestra is an old mobster, uh-huh. uh, and there is a plethora of old <laughs> mobster actors to choose yeah. from, and so I just stuck very straight in that wheelhouse. I went with Harvey Keitel Ooh. as my Salvatore Valestra. Interesting. Interesting choice on Harvey Keitel. Keitel is an interesting actor. Yeah. Some of his, some of Keitel's stuff is kind of hit or miss with me, but... Okay. A lot of his acting, I mean, I loved his character in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Yeah, he was awesome. I think he was the wolf, right? (laughs) He was was really cool. He was in Reservoir Dogs too, right? I'm thinking that, right? Yes, yes, he was. Yeah, I loved him in Reservoir Dogs as well. There's nothing I can really say about bad about Harvey Keitel. I mean, he fits the old gangster vibe. He can play a badass if that scene, you know, if that requires it. You don't see Harvey Keitel being vulnerable too much, which I kind of felt like Salvatore uh, Sal was yeah. vulnerable in the later part when he's trying to go to the Joker and stuff like yeah. that. That would be interesting to see. Fair enough. Um, as well as, actually, the person I picked to play Sal, you also don't see too often that sort of vulnerable side. And I'll kind of use that to springboard into my choice. <sighs> What's one of the biggest mobster movies in the world? Goodfellas? Even, I would say even bigger than that. Godfather? I went with Al Pacino. Al Pacino. That's a good. That's. I thought about him, and actually, the more when you were talking about stuff, I was like, I wonder if he went Al Pacino. Al Pacino fits. You know, I think he fits. He's he's a good actor. Yeah, I like that choice. I like yeah. that choice. I mean, both of those guys. I think the, both of them are tried and true actors mm-hmm. in any genre, but especially sort of in the gangster genre. And I either one would work uh, just as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, so let's move on to Carl Beaumont. 
who we kind of only really see briefly in the movie. Yeah, yeah, we almost didn't really need to cast him, but... But it, but it is an important part because of the twist. Yes, yeah, exactly, because you think he might be the Phantasm the entire time. And if they do similar in our movies to the animated film, you might even use the Carl Beaumont voices to kind of throw people off from that twist. Exactly. Uh, all right, so who did you choose? Uh, so, I mean, I wanted to... St- also stick with an older actor, someone who, you know, would fit into the time frame, you know, similar with my Harvey Keitel and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody who, you know, you can go, I think you can go a lot of routes with Carl Beaumont because, you know, he's not, he doesn't have to be gangster type. You know, he's kind of like an accessory. Right. Um, so you can go a lot of routes. I went with a really good actor. He can do tons of different stuff and I'm sure he could do what I need here. I went with Tommy Lee Jones as my Carl Beaumont. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he fits. Yeah, I don't know. He's got he's got that age range, and uh, I don't think I've used him before, so I'm like, yeah, right, Tommy Lee Jones, it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, that's fair. I think I don't know. Tommy Jones is a very hard man. Yeah, but he's I mean he's versatile. We've seen oh, the yeah. Men in Black. Well, he's he's still hard in Men in Black, <laughs> isn't he? And uh, <laughs> most of the things that he's in, yeah, yeah. You don't really see. Well, I was just like, you don't really see him playing a bad guy, but he played a bad guy in a Batman movie. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he yeah, that's right. He already was in a Batman movie, um, right. but I'm bringing him back to another Batman movie. <laughs> <laughs> I went uh, with an actor who his best known roles are basically him playing assholes, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, just mean characters. Uh, one of my favorite TV shows, however, that he was on, he actually didn't really play a mean character. He was kind of mean, but he was still mostly funny. But uh, the man is uh, actually very, very nice in person, and I know this because I've met him. I actually went with Bob Gunton. Another seasoned great actor there. Uh, I mean, because we've talked about him and we love him in Shawshank, you know, there is a scene, he's a hard ass in that one, but you have actually, you saw him be vulnerable, specifically at the end of Shawshank. Yeah. Uh, that's a good call. That's a good call. We also kind of see him be sort of a pseudo gangster in the Daredevil series. In season one, he played mm, yes. one of the, not really gangster per se, but. Yeah, but it was almost accessory. I mean, he played, actually, yeah. thinking about it, it's a fairly similar character. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, it's a good good, cho- good choice. Uh, all right. Arthur Reeves, the conniving Arthur Reeves. What'd you get? So Arthur Reeves, he's he's going to be much more closer to the age range of my Andrea Beaumont and my Batman. Um, maybe just like a slight bit younger, or at least looks younger. A little bit snivy. You know, he has that look to him. Mm-hmm. He's not at all. He's not fully a terrible person. You know, he's not a good person. He did end up telling the mobs where uh, Carl is, which ended up getting him killed. Um, and then setting Andrea to, you know, on her vengeance spree. Right. I went with an actor who I've seen in a good bit of stuff, but I kind of want to keep seeing him in things. I think he could play like a, a little skeezy guy. Uh, I went with Elijah Wood as my Arthur Reeves. You know what is so funny? I almost cast Elijah Wood. Oh, <laughs> That was actually nice. the first name I put down, and then I felt like he looked a little too young, so I, I changed him to somebody else. I like that he looked young because I think he could do those flashbacks pretty easily. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Immediately, I was sort of thinking of, uh, even though it's not exactly the same, made me think of his character in Sin City. Mm, okay. Yeah. Kind of, even though he doesn't really talk in that and he's really creepy in Sin City. But he is definitely, yes, very He's creepy. very sort of skeevy and stuff. So I, I didn't end up going with him, but he was he mm-hmm. was my first initial thought. I think Elijah Wood for this. Nice. Okay. What I ended up going with was an actor who is not known for anything like this, really. But, and this is going to sound oddly specific to pull from, he was on an episode of How I Met Your Mother, where he plays a nice person who ends up being not so nice. And I liked the way he portrayed the not so nice part. And even though it was very brief in the show... 
it made me think he would be good for a role like this. I actually went with the actor John Cho. Oh, oh he's done a lot of comedic stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he was Har- he was Harold and Kumar. Uh, he was in the Star Trek. Okay, cool. I, I don't dislike that. The guy, the guy's a good actor. He's got range. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do remember that uh, episode now that you're talking about it because yeah. I've seen everything of How I Met Your Mother <laughs> as well. Yeah, I, I approve of that choice. Okay. Uh, all right. You know what? Let's uh, let's skip Andrea and let's do Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon really mm-hmm. only appears like he might actually appear less than Carl Beaumont. <laughs> yeah, in the movie. yeah. When 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 we started casting, I was like, wait a minute, do I even remember Commissioner Gordon in the movie? <laughs> and literally, I think the only scene where he was like, I'm not going after Batman. Peace out. And that's and that's the end of Commissioner <laughs> <Yeah>. Gordon. <laughs> this is more so, I think, just casting. You know, for the overall Batman universe, right. <laughs> than or, than really for uh, this movie. But yeah, I'll jump in with mine yep. if, if you're cool with it. Okay, Commissioner Gordon has a specific look, and I wanted to stick to it. Right. You know, he he's hard when he needs to be hard, but he's also soft and approachable and a good person, and someone who looks like a good person. And he and he has that. And I feel like this actor has a very good Commissioner Gordon look, uh, specifically when you see him in his mustache. In uh, the Incredible Hulk movie, he plays Thunderbolt Ross. I went with William Hurt as my oh, Commissioner Gordon. That's a good choice. I was unexpected. I like that. Cool. This is the one I think you may not you may not like so okay. much. And part of it is, so it's you know it's Gotham City. People tend to equate Gotham City as New York City. Yeah. This guy, uh, he's definitely known not just for his look, but for his voice, and his voice might be the the turnoff just because okay. of because of of the general accent he tends to use harvey firestein is that your no. commissioner? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that would be epic yes that would be epic no i uh i went with another uh, mustachioed man i actually went with sam elliott oh yeah the, it's really the pace of his voice yeah more than anything he's got the look now you know, if he can dial back his southern Texasy sound <laughs> right. and just kind of be a little bit more, you know, urban, you know, city dweller person right. with it, he's got the right look. He okay. really, really does. So, that's, and that's more or less what I went off of. I mean, he's, yeah. I was like, he's barely in the movie. He just has to stand there most of the time. <laughs> yeah, he's an actor, and you know, Elliot is a good actor. So I bet you know he can figure out how to you know not. You know, just be that slow, lonesome cowboy <laughs> that he is, and just do a little bit, you know, more more city type. And I'm sure he could do it. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't hate that one. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, well, let's jump uh, to Alfred. Everyone hopefully knows who Alfred is in, in the Batman lore. Um, yeah, he's getting his own show. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure how I feel about that, but yeah, I don't really care for it yeah. either. <laughs> So, all right, who did you go with? Uh, yeah, I went through a lot of different British actors and actors who I thought could do it, and I had I had people, you know, it's like, oh, you'd be great, you know, but they're they're ninety years old now, <laughs> and I'm like, well, granted, they're still good actors, but do I want my Alfred to be ninety? You know, yeah, you got to show it. You know, granted, who cares though? As you put it, you know, the makeup teams are fantastic nowadays, right. so not a big deal. I didn't go with a ninety year old actor. I went <laughs> with an actor who is a the dude does. Everything he does is pretty awesome. I would say I didn't love him in Iron Man 3 all that much, but I love him in pretty much everything else I've seen him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing as Gandhi. Amazing in just like so many different things. I went with Ben Kingsley as my Alfred. Okay. You didn't. You don't seem to be excited about Ben Kingsley. Well, I mean, I listen, uh, I went with an actor who is very much like Ben Kingsley, 
Mm-hmm. Because Eddie also picked Ben Kingsley. Oh, okay. So you're pretty excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Woo. Yeah. Hey, John, that has that has been a long time. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since we've actually had a similar uh, casting. He just, he seemed, he's the right age now. He seemed to fit the part. He can, he can have that. Alfred always has this sort of air of elegance about him, even though he's a, yes. he's a butler. But he's he's very sort of regal and elegant. And Ben Kingsley has that. He does. He yeah. He, he absolutely and he I absolutely has that. I I agree with you. I I loved him in Iron Man three. I didn't love what they did with the character, but yeah, he's his actor, his though. role in it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But yes, that was that was uh, that I also went with Ben Kingsley. So that was a, cool. a lovely surprise there. All right, uh, all right. So let's do Andrea Beaumont. Yeah, you can go a couple different ways. However, you want to do with your Andrea Beaumont. She you know ends up being the villain of the film. You know, I thought of some other people who I th- still think would be good choices. Uh, I'm just going to throw out their names. Mm-hmm. Emily Blunt and Sienna Miller, I thought would be good choices. But I kind of went off the cuff with a slightly lesser known actress. Hmm. Uh, she is currently in the show. Uh, she does the show Luther with Idris Elba. Uh, she was Jane Eyre in the movie Jane Eyre. She's a British, a- British actress, but she's got the look that I was wanting for. I kind of wanted to have like a, you know, reddish hair kind of style look as well that they had in the movie. I went with Ruth Wilson as my Andrea Beaumont. I can't say I recognize her. Okay. I don't seem to recognize most of what she's been in. Okay. So I mean, I mean Luther is a badass show. I haven't seen much of it, but I know it's a badass show. So my hope is you can take that and use that. Well, that show's been going on for a while too, hasn't it? Well, they they brought it back for like a, a, a recent season. Right. So I mean, I don't really have any sort of thing to say one way or the other, just because I don't know who she is really. Okay. I mean, she's got the she's got the look. Yeah. Uh, I went with a much more well known actress. I mean, she's a great actress, so uh, it's hard to kind of necessarily dispute i mean she, i think this role lends itself to a lot of different people mm-hmm. i agree unless i had a stroke when i was watching it she had she had red hair in the show right yeah yeah I'm, which i mentioned I, I i wanted to keep that yeah so i went with another redhead i went with jessica chastain oh okay jessica Chastain, very voluptuous she feels she seems like it yeah she's good i think uh yeah i, I haven't seen too much of her stuff thinking about it Oh no no she's not the one who's very voluptuous. I'm thinking of someone else. Oh, you're thinking of uh, you're thinking of, are you th- you're thinking of Christina Hendricks? That's the mad madman. The madman. That's who yes. I was thinking. Yeah yeah yeah. Okay, okay yeah. Jessica Chastain definitely redhead. Definitely good actress. I haven't seen much of what she's in. I haven't seen Interstellar. Haven't seen Zero Dark Thirty or Tree of Life. But have you seen The Martian? I have seen The Martian. Yes. Okay. She was in that. Yeah. No, she's she's good. I think. Yeah. I think this is a this could be a, a good role for her. So cool. Okay. I, I I'm I'm happy with that choice, John. And maybe could lead to a reoccurring DC extended universe role. Yeah. I'd be I'd be cool with that. So uh, the this is the tough ones. The two Joker and Batman. Yeah. Uh, let's <laughs> yes. let's start with Joker. Go ahead and go first. Yeah. This is this is a tough fucking casting. I know. When you when you pick your Joker. Who can one? You gotta follow Mark Hamill and Heath Ledger, and that's just damn near impossible. Yeah, you know, I, I honestly liked the casting of Jared Leto because the guy is a really good actor, and he plays like weird people like that. I just absolutely abhor what he did with the character uh-huh. and his artistic choices for it, and or maybe you know all of that is just not good. I have high, high hopes for the Joaquin Phoenix 
Joker, and I think you would uh, you you don't you don't look like you do <laughs> from it's that. Not that face. I don't have high hopes. I just have I like I'm not excited about it. I don't care that they were making this movie. I just don't. I'll probably see it. I probably won't go see it opening weekend. Um, mm-hmm. I might see it in theaters. I might wait until it's on Netflix. I just I it was just not something I was excited about when they announced it. I've grown more excited about it as as I've heard more about it. I like that they're going apparently the very dark art house film style with it Mm -hmm. i think that fits with joaquin phoenix very well i've grown in my excitement so i probably you know maybe i'll watch it opening weekend but i'll definitely definitely be checking it out so okay i didn't want to just cast joaquin phoenix you know but i do think it might be interesting to go into that route and tie it into you know a greater universe but i had to choose somebody he's a very good actor you saw him being very weird and dark in the movie American Beauty, and maybe that's kind of what I took advantage of, and also thinking about like the dark art house style of this Joaquin Phoenix movie. Mm-hmm. I think uh, he's got a good look to him that I think would also fit well with the Joker. I picked Wes Bentley as my Joker. Oh, he plays the the neighbor, right, with the video camera. Yes, yes, yep. Oh, that's a good call. Cool. That's a good call. I was uh, I'm trying to think of there. I know there's a couple of other things I've seen him in, but that's that's the one I remember the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's hard to say one way or another because, you know, I mean, ever everyone has that reaction of, yeah. or anyone who is old never remembers, fucking Heath Ledger? You, yeah. The dude from A Knight's Tale? Are you serious? That guy's going to be rom-com Joker? dude from 10 Things I Hate About You? Exactly. And then just blew everyone out of the water. So, yeah. It's a crapshoot at this point. <laughs> Up is down, yep. cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. <laughs> who knows what could happen? Uh, I went with an actor who's actually a good bit older. He's really good at playing sort of pseudo-psychotic characters. I, you've seen him do it in, in several movies, and I think he could work here. It would be an interesting Joker. As I said, he's a little bit older. Uh, I, went, I went with Christoph Waltz. Interesting. I mean, he would be a good, you know, mobster side guy for the flashbacks. Would I want him as my Joker? You sort of see the pseudo-psychotic side of him in Inglorious oh, yeah. Bastards. Absol- absolutely. He's, he's fairly psychotic in uh, the Bond movie that he was into. Right. I actually haven't seen that. I, I was I in my head I was thinking like Inglorious Bastards. That's like Nazi Joker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, kind I of. Like, I mean, the dude. The once I saw Inglorious Bastards, that guy shot up in my respect um, as one of my immediate favorite actors currently. Right. You know, his role in that one was amazing. Yeah. And so I I cannot say no to that one because I'm sure he could figure it out and do a do a damn good job. Yeah. It's going to be one of those things where the the you're not going to be able to predict it ahead of time. Sometimes they'll cast mm-hmm. someone where you're like, "Oh, I know that's going to be good." You can just tell. Yeah. Joker's one of those roles. It's you <laughs> yeah. might even have a good actor in there, but yeah. they're not going to do what you like with it. So. No, and they're just going to be scrutinized to all hell. All right. Uh the big man, the Batman himself. Mm-hmm. Adam, go ahead and tell us who you cast. Yes. So my last casting of Batman was Carl Urban. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought long and hard if I wanted to continue Carl Urban for this role. I do think he would be a good fit. But ultimately, for the sake of casting, I wanted to go with someone else just to kind of get, you know, another another Batman. Did. Someone else that someone can yell at me for, for choosing <laughs> as a Batman. But he is a damn good actor. He actually plays a damn good villain at times, but I've seen him be heroic as well. He's actually a damn good villain slash hero in the X-Men series that he's a part of, but he's a good hero in Inglorious Bastards, uh, where he did act with your Joker. Um, I went with Michael Fossbender as my Batman. Okay. I could totally see that. 
He's a really strong actor. Yeah. Um, I think he's got a really good Bruce Wayne look to him. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you darken up his hair just a little bit, but but I like him. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Okay. He's about that right age. Um, he's a fantastic actor. You know he could do stuff with it. And he, you know he's done action-y stuff before. Um, I didn't mm-hmm. see Assassin's Creed. I heard it wasn't really that good. I didn't either. I love that gaming franchise. I've played almost every single one of them, and I still didn't watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I've never played a single one. Yeah. But uh, I didn't hold that against fastbender i thought i thought the casting of fastbender was actually a little weird yeah i agree not that i think he's a bad actor i just thought he was not like he didn't seem like that that would be a role he would be good for he's a good magneto though yeah he's he's a, he's a good magneto yeah i like he's him. not as good as ian mckellen but he's still a good M- magneto yeah i like that okay i think you're going to like my batman i did not go with michael fastbender that would that would have been funny <laughs> <laughs> But I really liked your casting of Carl Urban, so I just said, fuck it, I'm going to go with that. I went with Carl okay. Urban because I really liked that choice cool. for the darker Batman. Yeah, so I was yeah, like, you know what, why, why argue with something you already know you love? Yep. That's who no, I no. Uh, That's who I picked. I struggled. I, I thought, you know what, immediately I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to cast him again. Uh, but then I kind of pushed myself around to it. But yeah, no, love, love that choice, John. All right. Uh, either way, I think it uh, came out with a, an interesting cast for a live-action Mask of the Phantasm. I agree. And I hope that Jeremy Andrews enjoyed this episode, and I hope he felt he got his money's worth. And if anybody out there is thinking that they want to request an episode for us, join at our $5 a month level, and you too can get an episode dedicated to whatever you want us to talk about. All right, and that was our casting of Mask of the Phantasm. Please join us next time for another album review episode. John and I talk about the 90s punk album Stranger Than Fiction by the band Bad Religion. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows from your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.